It was a very cruel scene. Executed in an unusual manner. Cruel Coven. Hello, my little truffles, as in chocolate, not the fungus, not the mushroom. This is Cruel and Unusual, the podcast. My name is Tori. My name's Katie. And here we are. And we are here. And we are going. We're going. (laughs) Where are we going? On our bullshit. Are we back in the saddle again? (laughs) Again. Um, Can you believe it? Can you believe it's a Thursday and we're here again? (laughs) Who would have thought? I'm really excited to get into today's episode. I know we have some things to do before we start. We have a few things. Yes, we do. But I know I'm really curious because I don't know these details like you do. I we've never done a two-parter before I know and so like so I was listening I listened to the episode because it sounds different to me because I don't edit it so I listened to it on my long Thursday drives Mm -hmm. and at the end of part one I was even in suspense Oh, were I you? was in suspense. <laughs> and you were the one talking. I was like, God damn, I really want to hear the rest of it. Yeah. I was very proud and very happy of how part one went. And you've worked really, really hard on this. I have. I really and appreciate you saying that. Yeah. Um, but I'm excited. I'm just excited to get into it because I really I have come to really care about these people mm-hmm. and about Rebecca, obviously. And I'm very excited to get her story out there and for everyone else to hear about it as well. But before we do that, we have a few questions of the day slash week. Oh, we have a few. So you guys all came through with the questions as usual. So we're not going to answer every single one of them today, uh-uh. but we're going to say <laughs> we're going to do a few and save the rest. So number one, are you ready? I'm ready. If you could have been a serial killer's apprentice, which one would it be for? This is from Alejandra. Any, because and I would just fucking kill them and end their bullshit. <laughs> you know who, have you ever heard of the guy from Alaska who went all vigilante and started and killed, I think, at least one child sex offender? Okay. I can get behind people like yeah, that. Yeah, his. But, I would but, be his apprentice. Yeah, but senseless. But he got caught. Senseless crimes, like the ones that you hear about, like your Ted Bundy's and. Yeah. Or the guy with the fucked up teeth. Richard Ramirez, dick. Yeah. dick. I would love to just be working under them so I could fucking off them and never have to have another person killed. Right. You would be like. Them. So you would be like a Dexter. Yeah. And yeah, if I had to actually like learn from a serial killer as fucked up as it is, it would be someone who was killing sex offenders mm-hmm. and maybe other murderers and you know what i mean People i would who, be yes dexter's apprentice right should we just end it there dexter's apprentice bacon or sausage from cat savage bacon i'm i'm down for both oh bacon i honey. like sausage links not at home but i like my bacon very crispy yeah me too <laughs> like black almost i don't eat a lot of pork I do like some bacon, though. I never make it at home, though. That's only strictly like a diner out for breakfast type of thing for me. Um, I never I never used to make it at home. Rory would. But mm-hmm. now that we have the ninja, whatever that thing is, cooks in like air fryer. I don't know what it Are is. Are you an elitist? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what it is. I just know it says ninja. I don't know either. Um, but you just put it in there and it cooks yeah. in like a couple of minutes and it's yeah. so nice and crispy. Hmm. Oh, hmm. Okay, so we are skipping articles this week because we've got a lot of information. Tori has a lot of information to bring to the table. Oh, are we at a table now? We're at, a, we're at the round table with all of our friends. All of our friends? Yep. Okay. 
yeah, I just we felt like we should skip articles this week because there's a lot coming at you, you guys. Um, first, I'm going to tell you everything that you didn't find out last week in part one. And after that, we are going to be inserting the audio from the interview that we did with Doug. Mm -hmm. And Doug, like we said last episode, is Rebecca's brother-in-law. So make sure that you listen until the end because that is when you're going to get to hear from Doug himself Mm -hmm. and really hear about the family's point of view and kind of everything that unfolded that day. So where are you starting us off at? So part one, we ended with... Adam obviously calling 911 and the paramedics arriving, the paramedics realizing that rigor mortis had already set in. They were going to do CPR, but obviously she was she was deceased and had been deceased for quite some time. Mm-hmm. So before we get into anything else, I want to talk about the crime scene. So the courtyard. This is where Rebecca was supposedly found by Adam hanging from that red nylon rope. The courtyard of the Spreckles The Spreckles mansion, mansion yes. Yeah. So the courtyard is the initial crime scene. When authorities arrive, though, they obviously don't see Rebecca hanging because Adam said that he cut her down. However, when authorities get there, obviously she's not hanging. She's already on the ground. And the 911 call that we heard last episode, he cut her down during that? That supposedly, yes. Okay. I remember the operator saying, asking if he cut her down and he said yes. Yeah, I think so. He supposedly ran in and got a knife okay. from the, the butcher block mm-hmm. thing in the kitchen. He steps on something to cut her down. And that is like kind of all of the commotion that you hear as well. Yeah. Okay. Paul Holes actually did a couple of videos for the Crime Door app. And in one of the videos, Paul mentions that there was no vantage point for anyone in the public to see her hanging because she was hanging in the courtyard. So it's like surrounded. So this courtyard, like obviously you guys know what a courtyard is. I don't have to explain it. But other people, neighbors, other people like walking by Mm -hmm. cannot see the courtyard. Yeah, so like behind the house, but with the sides kind of covered too. Yeah, yeah. He went on to say that Rebecca was on full display, like not for anyone out, out, Mm -hmm. right? But like in the courtyard, she was kind of like, she was on display. Right. Like if anybody were to walk into the courtyard, you could not miss her. Yes. So she was found naked, bound, her wrist and her ankles, gagged, like hanging, you that's like a statement almost yeah you know what i mean as sad as that is paul basically was saying like that is how supposedly adam found her so like he walks out and she's just hanging there in that way yeah that isn't the way that the majority of people would commit suicide i for one it's a dark place to think about obviously it's something that you don't want to think about but if i was in that frame of mind Mm -hmm. with my mental health And I was trying to plan this out. I would not do it naked. And I sure as hell wouldn't tie my hands behind my back. So Paul kind of goes on to say, if she did this to herself, why was she on display? Why would she have put herself on display like that? Surely she wouldn't have been doing this for Adam Shackney. Who, you know what I mean? Like, she had no relationship with this guy. He meant nothing to her. She meant nothing to him. Like, they didn't have some close relationship. Right. And just in case the listeners don't remember, Adam is Jonah's brother. Right. And Jonah is Rebecca's boyfriend. Yeah. So he didn't 
Adam didn't live near there. No, 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 no. Adam was not near there. They weren't like some very close brothers that were always hanging out. Right. Wasn't a thing. He was there because of the accident with Max. Supposedly. Yes. So Paul was saying if she did this to herself, who was she trying to send a message to? Right. Just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Mm -mm. There was a soil area by Rebecca where she was hanging and there were shoe imprints from Adam there. This is what Paul was saying in the crime door app. So Paul actually walked through the AR crime door mm-hmm. in in crime door. So you guys know that we talked last time. We've talked about it in the group as well about crime door. So in the crime door app, there's actual AR doors where you can go and you can step into a crime scene. And Paul does this with Rebecca's crime scene. You can see a simulation of the courtyard, a simulation of Rebecca, where Adam supposedly found her hanging. You can see all of that in a lot of detail. So the cactus tree, there was actually bits of broken parts of the cactus tree. And Paul said that that was consistent with Rebecca's body swinging and breaking off parts of the tree. Oh, okay. So in the Crime Door app, you can even see the blood stain on her thigh Wow. in the simulation. It's very, very detailed. Um, and I'll talk more on this blood stain later. You can see the bindings on Rebecca's ankles and her wrist and where the knots are, okay. which is very important. Yeah. You guys, this app is just incredible. And we're going to talk about it more. We'll have more on this. But just know that you should be downloading this app. Mm-hmm. And we're not getting paid to say that. We are, no. <laughs> we are not sponsored by Crime Door. Before Rebecca was cut down. Supposedly, she was hanging. Mm -hmm. And everything is basically consistent with the fact that she is. Everything that Paul kind of uncovers between the ligature marks and the way the rope was cut, it is consistent with a hanging. And just to be clear, Paul Holes did not investigate the actual crime scene when it happened. Exactly. So, you guys, I don't know if you saw, but Oxygen did a special called Death at the Mansion or something like that. Yeah, it's something like that. It's been a long time. Yeah. Well, I haven't seen it. It's been... A couple of years at least Mm -hmm. since it came out. And Lonnie Coombs and Billy Jensen were kind of like the main people. Mm -hmm. And then they brought Paul Holes in to be like the expert. Right. So that's when he actually kind of did this deep dive into the case. So the drop from the balcony to where Rebecca was hanging was nine feet. And Paul describes a long drop hanging as one in which the person's body has fallen greater than their own height. Okay. So obviously. She's not nine feet tall. No, she's not. So Rebecca was laying on the ground, as I said. Her wrists were bound together behind her back. Important to note. The knots were loose. And then there was also the gag in her mouth as well. The blue Mm -hmm. gag. So when you use the AR crime door like Paul did, when you walk up to the bedroom, so we're moving from the courtyard into the bedroom. So this is all kind of like the scene of the crime, right? The courtyard, the balcony, the bedroom. Mm -hmm. So now we're at the bedroom. The bedroom where she would have come out from. Exactly. The bedroom that the balcony is off of. Yeah. When you walk up to the bedroom, right outside the bedroom, there's a bath towel laying on the floor. Directly next to the bath towel, you can see three circular small drops of blood that was determined to be Rebecca's blood, menstrual blood. Okay. Next to those circular drops, there's a larger irregular stain, which may be from a contact transfer from a bloody object. Paul said when you investigate, like let's say like these investigators that were first on the scene, mm-hmm. when, you, when you're the one doing the investigating, you need to know what bleeding injuries a person has when trying to determine where a blood source came from. Obviously, that makes sense. Right. So during the autopsy, there was zero bloody injuries to Rebecca. Zero. There was nothing in her body, on her body, no cuts, 
that were bleeding deep enough to actually have blood from, um, aside from the fact that she was menstruating Mm -hmm. heavily. The three circular blood drops, Paul said, could definitely be from the menstruation. That's that's possible. Mm -hmm. But the larger, irregular stain, Paul said she would have had to sit down. Where was the bigger stain? Uh, Just very close to these ones. Okay. So there's just three little drops, and And then there's a larger irregular stain. On the floor? Yep, right outside the room by the the bath towel. Okay. So it was more of like a smear then, maybe? Yeah, kind of. As if she sat? Yeah, it was, I mean, it definitely wasn't that big, but Paul said that it would be consistent with her sitting or something like that. It was not just dropping from her vaginal area. Okay. Okay, so moving into the bedroom. On the door... In black block letters, it's painted, okay? Mm -hmm. This is what's painted. She saved him, can you save her? One of the most alarming, questionable things about this entire case, really, is that if Rebecca wrote this, so in case you missed it, her death was ruled a suicide. It was investigated as if it was a suicide. Right. That was what authorities ultimately, right off the bat, assumed so they're investigating it as if it is one if she committed suicide why is she writing a note on a door in black paint in third person point of view even more than that it's thought that the whole she saved him refers to max shackney rebecca received a phone call from jonah that night that's that's true jonah relayed to her that it wasn't looking good for max so if he really said that, why would she say that she saved him? That Yeah, exactly. It doesn't add up and it doesn't make sense. No. None of it makes sense. But especially that. If you're yeah. going to, Jonah, if you say that you said to Rebecca, it isn't looking good for Max. Why would I, let's say I'm Rebecca, why would I go then? I could see being upset, distraught. Of course. That is my boyfriend's son. Right. Six-year-old baby. But it wouldn't be I saved him. No. It would be I didn't save him. Exactly. So moving inside the bedroom, past the door, is the bed. The bed is where the red nylon ski rope was tied to the bed frame. So you know how there's a bed frame. Mm -hmm. There's a foot of the bed. Yeah. Well, the the ski rope was tied around the lower right leg. And the loop around the leg was pre-manufactured. So it it was a water skiing rope. So that loop was already there. All right. It was just put onto the bed frame. Okay. That had to have been put there before the noose was put around her neck, according to Paul, because that's the only way that could have happened. Right. So there's an indentation in the carpet where the leg of the bed was usually. So it was easy to tell that the bed actually did move because of the indentation. Mm -hmm. On the ground, there are two paintbrushes. One of them had black paint on the bristles. The other one didn't. And a plastic bag with smears of black paint. Paul posed a question of why was there a plastic bag there? An offender could have potentially used the bag as gloves, because we'll later find out there was no no DNA anywhere, aside from Rebecca's. Right. And there was also a black tube of paint that was obviously used to write on the door, Mm -hmm. and that was found under the plastic bag. In the bedroom, there are two knives on the floor as well. One is a chef's knife with a smooth edge, and one is a smaller steak knife with a serrated edge. The smaller knife on the bottom half of the handle has a thin smear of blood that circles the handle. Yeah. This is important for later. I think Doug might might touch on it too. Um, but they do believe. I mean, wh- how would a knife get blood on all sides? What, what The only way 
would be if you inserted it into a wound. There is no bleeding on Rebecca aside from where she was bleeding menstrually. So all signs point to sexual assault. Right. With the handle of that knife. Mm Mm-hmm. There's a dryer sheet between the two knives on the floor, and you'll hear about why this dryer sheet may have been there from Doug later in the episode. Okay, so you guys, for some reason, Katie dropped her microphone <laughs> during this part and was just started going off talking about it, but she said, why would you drop your towel right before the bedroom door? Why do that? If and I had... said, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't. Right. So Adam was staying in the guest house, number one, so right. she wasn't trying to cover up for him. If she was trying to cover up, why would she put it on and then drop it right before the door? Yeah, right outside of the bedroom door. Then you just wouldn't put one on. I was saying, like, if you want to walk naked from wherever she was coming from, from, say, from the bathroom, whatever, to her bedroom, why not just walk naked? Right. But if you want to cover up with a towel, if you feel like you need to be covered up, why would you drop it outside? Why would you have the bedroom door? Yeah. And then take it off it just doesn't make sense you would think yeah right you would think if you wanted to be covered up you would wait until you were inside of the bedroom and then drop the towel right weird out by the balcony there's a turned over wicker chair sometimes i mean when i think of turned over furniture and a crime scene i think of a struggle there was dirt on the balcony so moving through the crime scene there was dirt on the balcony and there were disturbances to the dirt There was a boot print from someone who was investigating, according to the investigating agency. And there were also footprints, bare footprints. You'll hear this on other podcasts, that there was a book on witchcraft or some type of book that showed a woman tied up and bound with a red rope. Um, It's particularly amazing to me because if people looked at my bookshelves, (laughs) they would see a lot of different things. I mean, if you just took a book at my bedside and, and you saw something that correlated to my life and you just assumed Mm -hmm. i would be in deep shit i understand why some people have kind of latched onto that because there there are some coincidences and some parallels yeah but you can't make assumptions about a crime scene or a potential crime scene because you saw a picture in a book right it's just it's my opinion you can't how can you it just doesn't make sense to me Sure, yeah, that's strange. That's a coincidence for sure. Yeah. But does that mean that Rebecca committed suicide? No. I don't, you can't say that. No. A single swab on the surfaces was used to collect DNA evidence, which is a huge issue. So they only found Rebecca's DNA, only Rebecca's fingerprints, um, on the bindings, only Rebecca's fingerprints, the balcony door, the bed frame. They used a single swab, which... They shouldn't have done. I mean, honestly, like they just they and they did that because they assumed that she committed suicide. Right. They weren't looking for anyone else's DNA. Right. They were just doing their job with collecting the evidence. So is it even safe to say that there was no other DNA or fingerprints? No. Because I would assume I'm not an investigator or a crime scene tech, clearly, but... I would assume that the things and the surfaces that you collect from in a homicide are a lot different. I would think that investigating a homicide and investigating a suicide are two different ballgames. Right. But for them to just assume that it was a suicide, especially when it doesn't look like a suicide. Right. Okay. Yeah. Are hangings typically suicides? Yes. Are hangings naked, bound, gagged? Uh, Is that typically a suicide? No. No. So Adam's DNA was nowhere to be found, anywhere on the property. Okay. But how was there no DNA? Yeah. Like, how how did nothing 
show up. I, yeah. He was there. He showered. He admitted to masturbating. Mm. Hi, hello, DNA. Hi. Right? <laughs> DNA literally spilling out of a body. Yeah. Like, how? how is there no Adam Shackney DNA? He said he put his mouth on Rebecca's to do CPR. Oh, but yeah. But Rebecca was never, they never swabbed her body for DNA. They wouldn't have known. No. Then. Mm-mm. A neighbor even informed authorities during the investigation that she heard a woman's voice yelling for help around 11.30 p.m. Oh. Authorities later dismissed that and said that she wasn't a reliable witness. Why? Yeah, I'd love to <laughs> We know never why found out they, why. Why they discounted that. Authorities also brought up Asian shame, quote-unquote mm-hmm. Asian shame, um, which isn't something I did not do research on this. I don't feel... Like, I'm the correct person to talk about this. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, what they said was that in some Asian cultures, there's something known as Asian shame. And if you do or cause harm to someone, a way that you can bring honor back to your family is by committing suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, everything that I tried to look up pointed to this not being part of Rebecca's family's culture. Okay. Um, and even if it was, her family very 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 publicly says that this is not something that she would do but you're definitely going to hear about that on other podcasts and youtube videos and other places so i just wanted to make sure that we mention it so you kind of know our take as well Mm -hmm. we're not educated in that we don't know but we do know that her family said that is not something that she would take part in right i want to bring up that there are just so many threads online about rebecca's case so many that we're talking about how Rebecca could have or couldn't have done this to herself. There, It's like either you believe that she did, you believe that she didn't. And there's right. thousands of threads out there online about it. In fact, people have even tried to like recreate the knots and mm-hmm. binding themselves, right? So Lonnie Coons is actually very similar in size to Rebecca. And as part of that oxygen special they did... They bound Lonnie up, and she was able to get herself over the balcony. So that was one of the questions, was if Rebecca tied her hands and feet and gagged herself and all of this, would she even be able to get over the balcony? Right. There was someone, like, in the San Diego police department or something, some, it was a woman who recreated it, Mm -hmm. quote unquote, as well. But none of, Paul wants to point out in the Crime Door app that, None of the knots are exactly the same in the exact same position. Sure, they can do it, but the position of the knots is not the exact same. But this isn't about, at least to me, if if she could have went over the balcony herself. It's about the fact that there's so much evidence pointing to the fact that she didn't. Right. Could she have got over the balcony? Sure. But did she? You would think that the way that she looked... Just that Upon alone. Upon arrival. That alone. Yeah. But then you have the knife with the blood all around it. You have yeah. the door written in third person point of view. You have the weird blood stains. Mm-hmm. There's so many different things. The phone call of him not doing well. Okay, then why the fuck? Why? Paul said something similar about like, not could she have thrown herself over the balcony, but would she? It isn't about if it's possible for her to do it. It's more about the evidence behind everything. Could she tie the knots? 
would she tie the knots? Why would she write that she saved him if Jonah truly told her that Max wasn't doing well? There's just so many things that do not point to Rebecca throwing herself over that balcony. Too many things that do not add up and that do not make sense. Mm -hmm. So in the Crime Door app, Paul actually has two different videos. One where he goes through the AR door in the crime scene and the other one where he's kind of just breaking down the case. Mm -hmm. His first question is about the knots, the bindings. The majority of people can tie a knot around their ankles, Mm -hmm. right? And the knots are tied around the front of her ankles. She could have easily done that to herself. The type of knots on her wrist, though, is a different one than the type of knots on her ankles, which I think that's important to know. Why are we tying different knots? Right. What what are we doing here? It's one is behind the back and you can't see. Yeah. The knot around her wrist is so complex. If you look at a photo of it, it's just like, I get confused looking at it, mm-hmm. like where it looped and how it looped and how it's going around and where yeah. it started from. How you would even go about starting yeah. that. Yeah. And Rebecca wasn't some kind of like not aficionado. Right. She didn't study knots. She wasn't like somebody who, she she didn't, she just didn't. You know who would study knots? A, A tugboat, tugboat captain. captain. <laughs> I mean... In case you didn't know, <laughs> Adam Shackney, I think we said it in the first episode, yeah, is a did. tugboat captain. And he knows all about knots. Mm-hmm. But we're just allegedly saying. Pure speculation. Pure speculation. Everybody. I think it's also important to note that the knots around, like the bindings, right? They were much tighter before the autopsy. I think it's incredibly important to make sure that you guys know that the, the knots on the bindings were tighter prior to the autopsy. Rebecca had bracelets on her left wrist and a watch or a Fitbit, something like that, on her right wrist. The loops actually are so tight on the bindings that the bracelets are being compressed and part of the loops are underneath the bracelets. Oh. So that is how tight they are. Yeah. In the beginning. Adam actually also admitted to loosening the bindings on her wrist so he could check her pulse. The nylon rope also undoubtedly loosened during the movement of her body from the hanging position to the ground, to a body bag, to an examination table. That kind of rope is very slippery. It's a nylon ski rope. Mm -hmm. So by the time the autopsy actually occurred, which was much later, those bindings would have been much more loose than originally applied. I just want to briefly talk again about the the recreations of the people who who like tried to recreate those knots, the exact knots. The San Diego deputy that we talked about just a few minutes ago, they did this. They recorded it. Billy Jensen did it, too, for the oxygen special. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, but both instances, the knots were by the hands and easily accessible. This mm-hmm. is something Paul also points out. On Rebecca, the knots were higher, not between her hands. Rebecca also has multiple loops from different directions, and no one replicated that exact same knot. It was just something very similar. So in my opinion, the San Diego deputy, it just, it can't be used as a comparison. It's not the same. So you can't just put something out there and say, oh, this looks kind of similar, so let's just call it. That uh, doesn't work like that. Don't you think if your ankles are bound first, it's going to make it harder to tie your hands behind your back? I would think that would mess with your equilibrium. Your balance. I mean, maybe not. I don't know. But that's maybe just she a was thought that popped into my head. Any of it would have been hard and difficult right. for me. Yeah. So Paul said that he cannot see any way, which I think this is huge. He said that he cannot see any way that Rebecca could have bound her hands together. There's nothing that shows that she could have tied those knots in the way that they were tied and in the position mm-hmm. that they were tied. 
Now let's talk about the blue shirt that was around her head and in her mouth used as a gag. There was another knot here, and this one was tied around the back of the head. Paul said he imagined someone standing behind her tying that, Mm -hmm. because why wouldn't you just tie it around the front if you were doing it yourself? It takes much less effort to tie a knot here than here. Right, right. Also... If that's put on before she she binds her hands, say say she did it. Right. How do you see after how how do you know where you're going? Right. Right. What's going on? So you would basically have to be doing the rest of it blind. Yeah. It doesn't make sense, man. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. The wrist knots and the ankle knots were different, and the noose knot was also different. So we have three different types of knots just right here. The knot on the noose was a cow's hitch. Paul said, which is an incredibly simple knot, the cow's hitch. You could probably just Google it and do it. That's mm-hmm. that's fine. That's simple. That's easy. So even though it was an incredibly simple type of knot that one could just Google and do, mm-hmm. Paul said that whoever tied that had to be familiar with the strength of the knot. And Rebecca, once again, was not a knot expert. Right. Because that's the noose knot. Like that one is an important Not that is like what your entire plan if you're committing suicide is hitching on that knot, not giving in. So you have to know the strength Uh in comparison with the body. Okay, so let's talk about the initial autopsy. I feel we talked about Rebecca, who she was, the type of woman that she had become, her family. We talked about the crime scene. We talked about the state that her body was in. I feel like we should talk about the autopsy. Okay. So Rebecca's autopsy is public record. You can find it online, mm-hmm. which is how obviously the family sent me this. But I just want to make sure it is publicly known that anyone can get access to this. So Rebecca was found July 13th at 0648 hours is what this autopsy says. And the autopsy was completed July 14th at 1018 hours. So the next day is when the autopsy was actually conducted. The autopsy determines her cause of death to be hanging and the manner of death to be suicide. I'm going to read what is under the external description. This is all a quote. Okay. The body is of a well-developed, well-nourished, small-framed, physically fit, 63-and-a-half-inch, 100-pound Asian woman whose appearance is consistent with the given age of 32 years. The thick, straight, well-groomed, dark brown scalp hair measures up to approximately 18 inches. The hair is within and underneath the ligature around the neck. I think that's another thing that a lot of the public has had a lot of issue with, Mm -hmm. and it's something that the Oxygen Special talked briefly about, too, as someone with long hair. Mm-hmm. If I have something that goes over top of my hair, I pull my hair out. Yeah. So that didn't make sense to a lot you of people. You put a shirt on and your hair is yes, tucked underneath you immediately it. get it out. Okay, back to the quote from the autopsy. The nose and facial bones are palpably intact. The nose is formally formed. The nares are unobstructed. The oral cavity has natural teeth in good condition. The mouth is slightly open and the tongue is not protruding. There are dense, innumerable, focally confluent, fine red petechia in the periorbital regions limited by the orbital ridges superiority and extending just below the lower orbital ridges inferiority. 
The petechia become sparser as they move on to the skin lateral to the eyes. There are rare petechia on the left side of the face between the eye and the ear. There are a few pinpoint petechia in both the upper and lower oral mucosa in the anterior portion of the mouth. There are numerous fine and coarse petechia above the ligature furrow extending from the chin to the angles of the mandible. Just to break in the quote here again, petechia, because I just said petechia 20,000 times there, is the brown and purple marks Mm -hmm. on the skin, which can indicate like blood pooling. Mm -hmm. So it can definitely indicate like trauma, more than likely a minor type of trauma. Right. um, Because there are smaller areas. The neck, other than the injuries described below, is symmetrical and unremarkable. There is a small amount of grass and other plant material on her back. On the anterolateral right upper arm, there is an approximately 1 16th inch spot of gray-black material. Over the right clavicle, there is a 3 by 1 inch area of black material consistent with paint. On the superior edge of the right nipple between 12 and 13 o'clock, there is a small amount of black material consistent with paint. On the left breast, at approximately the one o'clock position, there is a one and one-fourth by three-eighth inch of an area of black material consistent with paint. On the right ring fingernail, there is a smudge of black material measuring an eighth of an inch. On the lateral aspect of the base of the right index finger, there is a half-inch area of black material. On the posterior right hand at the base of the thumb, there is a 2 by 1 inch of black material. There is a similar shaped area of black material on the right lower back. There is a moderate amount of gray-brown dirt on the soles of the feet, slightly greater on the right. This dirt extends to the medial aspects of the feet, especially distally around the bases of the great toes. There is a smudge of apparent dirt on the anterior proximal left thigh, just below the anterior superior iliac spine. Rigor mortis is mild and easily broken in the upper and lower extremities, neck, and jaw. Liver mortis is posterior, red, and fixed. It talks about the blue or turquoise long sleeve t-shirt around the neck on top of and outside of the rope. It was fashioned by tying, this is a quote, it was fashioned by tying the two ends of the long sleeves together near the cuffs in a double knot. Okay. The sleeves are wrapped three times around the neck with the abdominal and lower chest portion of the shirt extending from the anterior aspect of the ligature. Talking about her wrist, the autopsy says, quote, the segments of rope are arranged roughly in a figure eight pattern. The right hand can be slipped out and removed from the binding by taking up slack from the right side. The left hand can be removed. Oh. But keep in mind, this is after everything is loose. The head and neck on the right upper forehead, just past the hairline, there is a fourth of an inch of a red abrasion. So now we're finding out that she has bruising on her head mm-hmm. as well. Paul first talks about the deep ligature furrow that goes diagonal from her left up to the right side of her neck. Paul said that he has no doubt that she was hanging due to the extensive wound there. Because there's a lot of people that are like, did she even, did Adam even find her like that? Mm -hmm. But there's not a doubt that he found her like that. Yeah. Who put her there? That's where the doubt comes in. Right. So the head injuries... Are they saying that she hit her head on the way down? That is what some people say. There was also a very significant hemorrhage just above the strap muscles. 
He explains that there's no injury or abrasion to the surface of the skin there, but her hyoid bone was also fractured. Okay. These two injuries are almost always due to manual strangulation, not a hanging strangulation. This is something that Paul said was very confusing to him. Oh. He said he really dug deep into this and he wanted to know how often a hyoid bone was fractured during a long drop hanging. Mm -hmm. Out of 150 people, there was one instance in which the hyoid bone was fractured during a long drop hanging. Wow. Okay. The hemorrhaging in the strap muscles was also super concerning to Paul. He thought that maybe the stretching from the muscles in the neck from the long drop hanging could have done this. So someone experienced with necks and neck injuries would need to look at that. Certainly the strain I think that it would put on these muscles here yeah. at the top. In case you guys don't know where the strap muscles are, they're like between like your neck and like top of your torso. Paul questioned if she was manually strangled first and then the suicide was staged. Yeah. As far as Rebecca's mouth goes, in the autopsy, it said there was nothing atraumatic about her oral mucosa. But Paul said that her lips are very, very chapped. They're dry. But what caught his attention was the teeth marks on the inside of her upper lip. There was also discrete hemorrhaging marks higher up on the inside of the lip. And a doctor during the oxygen special said maybe the tissue was drying out after death. However, Paul said he would expect to see this during a form of smothering happening. Oh. Another thing to know is that Rebecca had two rhombus-shaped hemorrhages on her side, like on her ribs. And it looks like something narrow, some narrow object forcefully contacted her in that spot for the hemorrhaging to occur. Paul said he finds this significant because her arms would have been down there behind her back. Yeah. So they would have been protecting that area. Paul said that that was never addressed. Hmm. How that would have happened was never addressed. We're just going to completely ignore that. Totally ignore it. Because she committed suicide. So we're going to ignore every other abrasion, uh, the teeth marks. We're going to ignore any bruising, the hemorrhages, the strap Mm -hmm. muscle tear, the hyoid bone fracture. We have to ignore that. Right. God. Okay. So moving past the crime scene, the evidence at the scene, the autopsy, let's talk about the police questioning Adam because they do and they do this right away. Okay. They believed it was a suicide. That's what they thought. But there was something that made them question him. Hmm. They even go as far as to conduct a polygraph test on the same day that they found Rebecca, Hmm. July 13th, the same day that he called 911, the same day that he supposedly cut Rebecca down. I'm going to play the polygraph audio. I think I woke up and reached her and realized I wasn't going to be able to get her off without a knife. You know, I probably tried to just realize, like, quite quickly, you know, realize this thing will happen, you know, like this. I went around the back into the house, which the door was open. I got a knife from the butcher block thing, came back out, cut her down, and we probably called 911 shortly after, if not before. Okay. I did any point think she was alive? I'm, you know... Call me a can-do person or something, but probably not. But I thought, how would I answer if I, if I, for this, if, if I didn't try something? Okay, so you, you know, you try a responsible person. Okay, try some CPR? Yeah. Okay. And have you been trained in that from, with the boat stuff? Years and years ago. Okay. Not enough to amount to anything. Okay, so try some CPR. Now, and so, was there anything else unusual? What, what kind of shame was it? Like a bed sheet or what it's a fucking rope, man. Red rope. Unless my memory is failing me, you know. Something that it wasn't just it's something that you would be laying around somewhere. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't think. Alright. So 
Could you tell whether it was uh, what material? Kind of like a Kevlar, synthetic. Okay, like nylon or something. Yeah. Like that. Okay, and so what? There, she no shoes or not a stitch on. That's what I recall. And so her hands were hanging down to her side then. I I don't know because here's the thing I don't remember about her hands because after I cut her down when I went to take her pulse. You know, at some point, which I didn't even do that first, I remember having to get something out of me of her hands. Mm -hmm. And that's why I've been asking these detectives and stuff if she was tied up or what. I mean, I'm kind of all okay, blur, kind of blur, yeah. you know, but but I remember having to move something, try to get her pulse out of the way. Okay. You know, very much. How about her I don't remember that, but I'm just, I fear, I hope to God she wasn't tied up. But, again, I asked the detective that, you know, and I don't recall. And then, so it went, now, as far as the CPR, you did the chest compressions, and then did you blow her mouth and nose? I, I got the, once I got that one, one out a lot of way in and blew her mouth. Okay. And her, her mouth was open and clear and everything? I didn't even do all that. I'll show you how I did. Okay. I didn't do that tilt. I think they said tilt the head back. Do all, I didn't do any of that stuff. Okay. I just put my mouth over hers. I said, fuck it. It's my brother's girlfriend. I'll do it. I did it. Right, and there was no tape across her mouth or anything like this? No. There was a fucking a gag in her mouth, though. A gag in her mouth? Yeah. What was that? Something. You know, I had to pull something out of her mouth. Okay. It was like a blue scarf. Hmm. I mean, does it seem to you like it's a suicide then? At, yes, absolutely. Okay. What, and what makes you think that? It's just what, what crossed my mind, you okay. know? It's just because I thought she was there that when, when Max got hurt. Supposedly, you know, maybe she just can't live with it. You know, I've never been in that situation. I, I, I'm not going to say that I could, especially right. with someone else's kid, you know. Yeah, but did she seem suicidal or anything like that? No, I don't get, you know, I mean, I, you just don't ever think of that. Okay. Look straight ahead, listen and concentrate on each question. Okay. Only respond yes or no. Okay. But the most important thing of all is what? Regarding the death of Rebecca, do you know for sure if anyone did anything to her that resulted in her death? No. Regarding the death of Rebecca, did you yourself do anything to her that resulted in her death? No. Regarding the death of Rebecca, were you in that guest room that she was found hanging from at any time during the night? No. These are hard tests to do when you're this close to, to what's going on here, like you said. Yeah, because it's hard to get rid of that emotional factor. Right. And you could have done a whole lot worse on the test. Could have done a whole lot better, too. But based on what I've got here, we're kind of in an inconclusive range, which really doesn't bother me that much uh, because I think if you were in something uh, that close, uh, there's no way I can prevent you from giving me some reaction. But as far as being involved in it, I'm not inclined to believe that. Um, but you're definitely not you're definitely not funking like that, so that's kind of a, somewhat of a good thing. How about that? He sounded Adam uh -huh. sounded like he was sweating through his shirt. Didn't he? I just don't like and he was very fidgety. I know you couldn't see him. I yeah, no, I haven't seen the video but of it. But he was very just like I could tell un, like you like restless. Yeah. You know? The polygraph conductor actually said right to Adam when he finished, as you heard, that the test was inconclusive. So there were a couple of things that stood out to me. 
regarding this test. He said he didn't know that she was bound, that he had to move something out of the way. He did remember that she was gagged, but he says that he definitely thinks it's a suicide. But it didn't seem like he thought she was suicidal. So it's all so fucking wishy-washy. Yeah, he was very quick to say yeah, that she did it. Yes. And how do you not remember that her hands were behind her back tied with that red rope that you remembered right. so well was Kevlar synthetic? The th- well, and the thing is, if Adam did not harm Rebecca and he found her the way that he found her, how can he say, yes, she did it? Right. And I mean, my, like if I found someone like that, and we've said this a million times already, my first thought would not be suicide. No, if I found a woman hanging nude with her gagged. wrist and her ankles bound and gagged, I would not think that she committed suicide. No. And one of his very first questions was, can you say without a doubt that Rebecca is the only, that hurt herself or something like that? And he said no. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, at least he said no there. Right. But when he was, when they were just talking before, right. prior to the questions, he was very adamant that she committed suicide. Yeah. And yes, I know that there's going to be people and there's a lot of people who say, well, if you're in that situation, you don't know what you would do. I don't know what Which I would do. Which is true. Yeah. That's absolutely you true. You don't know what you're going to remember and what's going to stick out and what's right. going to fade away. Right. And I want to make sure that everyone knows that Jonah, from the very beginning, stood by his brother saying that Adam had nothing to do with Rebecca's death. Mm-hmm. There's a recording of him saying that authorities should check into Neil if they expected foul play. And if you remember, Neil was Rebecca's first husband. Yeah, okay. Rebecca's family voiced their opinion that there was no way that Rebecca would commit suicide. Even from the beginning, when there was a lot of unknown, her family advocated for her and insisted that there was no way that she would ever harm herself. During their investigation, police looked into Rebecca's phone and said there was a voicemail that had been listened to around 12.50 a.m. on the morning of July 13, 2011. Jonah said that he left the voicemail and told Rebecca that Max was doing much worse than before and that it wasn't looking good, which is something we brought up earlier. Mm-hmm. Okay, then why would she paint that she saved him? Right. They also didn't ask the cellular provider to find out who left that voicemail for sure or what was in it or, or anything about the voicemail. And if I'm right, Doug said that it's kind of just faded out of the system. Yeah. It's not retrievable yeah, they never. Yeah, they never went back, even in the reinvestigation. Okay. On September 12th, the sheriff's office held a press conference to announce that Rebecca's death was formally officially ruled as a suicide. Their reasoning was that all the DNA at the scene was Rebecca's, which, as we said, it was a single swab Mm -hmm. and they were only looking for Rebecca's. Right. They thought it was a suicide off the bat. So why would they find other DNA? That woman who we said heard screaming was deemed unreliable The boot print on the balcony was dismissed. They said it was an officer at the scene. They showed a video of that officer mock binding herself up, which she successfully did, but wasn't done the correct way. They basically said that the voicemail sent her over the edge. Mm -hmm. They said it triggered her to commit suicide. And Jonah even said the same thing. He said his voicemail must have triggered her. Oh. Yes. Rebecca's family immediately started justiceforrebecca.org, which don't even go there because Doug said he's pretty sure that it, it it's not, like, in service anymore. Mm-hmm. But that was back in September of 2011. They started advocating for her using social media as a tool to spread the word about what they believed was a wrongful death ruling. 
they felt in their hearts that Rebecca was actually murdered. Yeah. Which many, many people do. Rebecca's family hired Ann Bremer, who has represented many high-profile cases. They did a lot of press, including the Dr. Phil show. Rebecca's family ended up asking for her body to be re-exhumed, and Dr. Sarah Wecht performed the second autopsy on her. So she had the initial one, and now she's having one performed by Dr. Wecht. Dr. Wecht found there to be fractures on her throat and evidence of sexual assault. The hemorrhages on her scalp were consistent with foul play. He ended up concluding that her death looked very much like a homicide and not a suicide. The next step was for Rebecca's family to file a civil lawsuit against Adam Shacknai. The family also initially sued Dina and her sister Nina as well, but they were ultimately dropped from the lawsuit when camera footage put them at the hospital that night. Okay. So the Zahao family hired attorney Keith Greer, who was honestly just a complete badass in Mm -hmm. the courtroom. He went into that courtroom and ended up picking apart the entire investigation, the initial investigation. Good. He just ripped it to shreds. He inquired about why investigators would use a single swab to look for DNA at a crime scene. He brought in a life-size model of Rebecca. He showed showed handwriting samples from Rebecca and from Adam. The tail on the M, just like there's so much out there, you guys, that I'm not going to go into detail about everything because we still have to hear from Doug, too. Yeah, I know he talks about the handwriting. Yeah, there's just paint and and all of that. There's so much. There's so, so much. The, The bloody steak knife, the blood was on all four sides, but there was no wounds on her body. How was a knife coated in blood? Rebecca Mm -hmm. was on her period. There seems to be only one logical explanation for that. The swipe of blood on her thigh, which could have absolutely been from that. Right. The knots. Could Rebecca have even tied the figure eight knots? An interesting fact about the figure eight knot is that it's one of the four maritime knots. Mm. Who would know about maritime knots? Our tugboat. The tugboat captain. Allegedly. Allegedly. (laughs) Allegedly. Speculationly. Ugh. Um, <laughs> Rebecca had been on boats like she they were wealthy. They they were well off. They had been on boats. Maybe they even had boats. I don't know. Right. But she but docking a boat is a far cry from being a knot expert. Yeah. When you dock a boat, you throw a loop over a thing. Right. Like I've docked a boat. Have you? Yes. <laughs> in Minnesota. Oh, but I wouldn't know how to tie any of these knots. No, 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 no. Speaking of other things at the crime scene, the message on the door, the ominous message on the door. Mm-hmm. The handwriting expert said that the message painted on the door was done by a right-handed male who was around the height of six feet. Okay. That Rebecca wasn't a right-handed male. She was not six foot. You can't get much clearer. Right. I'm not sure if you missed that, but <laughs> Rebecca identified as a female. She was nowhere near six feet tall. It's also important to note that the same black paint was found on her nipples and the rope, which we talked about a little bit in the autopsy. Mm-hmm. It was almost as if her nipple had actually been pinched. It was on either side of her left nipple and on the tip of her right nipple. Okay. And if she didn't do that, who did it? Probably whoever sexually assaulted her. Right. On April 4th, 2018, nine out of 12 jurors found Adam responsible for Rebecca's death. He was to pay right around $5 million to Rebecca's mother. And then 12 out of 12 said that he should pay her for the, said that he should pay her family money. At one point, a judge was asked to act as a 13th juror. And the judge also said that they would hold Adam responsible for her death. Wow. 
On April 16th of 2018, Bill Gore, the San Diego sheriff, agreed to review Rebecca's case with fresh eyes because that was the whole the whole thing here. So a civil lawsuit is not going to put Adam in jail. Right. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. that's that wasn't their intention. Their intention was to get more eyes on this case and to get someone to look at it and say, no, Rebecca Zahal did not kill herself. Mm-hmm. So when Bill Gore said that they were going to reopen and reinvestigate Everyone was happy. But then only months later, Bill Gore said that there was no evidence of a crime. Once again, they he basically just said everything that they said before was true and was still going to be upheld and that everything that Keith Greer gave them, everything in the civil lawsuit, like during during that trial, Keith Greer literally handed them everything on a silver platter and Bill Gore maintained the ruling of Rebecca's death as a suicide. Wow. I think it's also important to note that a lot of people say that they didn't really reinvestigate. Mm-hmm. Like, they didn't go back and talk to people about it. Which was the point. Yeah, that the whole the whole point of reopening a case and reinvestigating a case is to literally act like you didn't do it before. They didn't do that. Mm-hmm. It's almost like they just opened up the file, re-looked at it, and then said that The we file that it. already completely leaned towards suicide. Right. That's, I mean, Mm -hmm. that's just my opinion. And Doug may talk about this in the interview, too. But it seemed to me, and this is an opinion, that they said they were reopening it, kept it open for a certain length of time, and then just closed it and said, hey, no, we did all of this, but it's still a suicide. Yeah. I also want to mention that it's reported that Bill Gore, the sheriff, and Jonah, Jonah Shackney, Rebecca's boyfriend, Adam's brother, ran in the same social circles. Okay. And that Jonah had actually spoken to him and told him that all of this needed to go away because his company's stocks were taking a huge hit. Hmm. There's audio of this. Oh. There is audio. I'm not playing it. Interesting. I'm not playing it. Um, but there is audio. If your girlfriend just committed suicide mm-hmm. or just died, it doesn't matter if she if she died in any kind of way, and you're calling law enforcement saying that you need them to stop talking about the case and and basically saying that your brother's a suspect or anyone is a suspect which is what he said because your stocks your company stocks are taking a hit Mm -hmm. that makes you a real messed up person i think so like i said that is not hearsay there is audio of that yeah wow I'm not playing it because I don't have any rights to it. Mm-hmm. And it was it's from a different source, so yeah. I can't play it. So I think this is where we're going to end it. And then we're going to play Doug's audio. Um, I'm really, I think Doug has a lot of very, very, very important things to say. So I don't want to keep talking in circles and, and kind of hammering the same points home when we have someone who is so close to the case who can really give us that bird's eye point of view. Right. You know? right. But I do want to just briefly mention before we insert his audio that we would really 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 love for everyone to download the crime door app crime door is how i got the majority of my research aside from doug has the ar door you can literally experience being in that crime scene Mm -hmm. in the courtyard in the bedroom i mean it's just you guys there's no there's nothing out there like it and Crime Door is free to download on your phone or tablet or wherever. But Rebecca's door, is it one ninety nine to open it? $1.99? Yes. Rebecca's door is $1.99 to open that. And that gives you access to the AR, the, the simulated crime scene. And Paul's two videos as well. Yeah. And Neil 
who is the co-creator of the Crime Door app, is actually giving a portion of any funds going, like the $1.99, mm-hmm. to the family of Rebecca Zahal to help them pay for their legal fees and for their ongoing efforts to try and get justice for Rebecca. Yeah. So if you guys have it, have that extra $1.99 and are able to spend it on specifically Rebecca's case, we would love for you to do that because I think you're going to get a really amazing experience, but you're also going to be helping her get justice as well. Mm -hmm. Now we are going to insert the audio from our interview with Doug. Can you tell our listeners who you are and how you're related to Rebecca? Uh, My name is Doug Laner and I married Rebecca's sister, Mary. Uh, We were married in 2010 and my first First time I met Rebecca would have been late 2008. It was uh, November, October, November, sometime around in there. And then you were telling me on the phone how I think you you got married in 2010, you said, and then all of this obviously unfolded shortly, very shortly after. We were, we did, it was was kind of funny. So we we were planning our wedding. And we were going to, we were going to do like a destination wedding. I think we're going to go like to Jamaica. Well, Rebecca couldn't get her passport secured in time. So we ended up, and she was the maid of honor. So we went from Jamaica to Hawaii so she could still go be part of our wedding. So we flew out there and that was in uh, 2010. And so now what I really want to do is just kind of talk about Um, before we get into like what your goal and Mary's goal is with reopening the case, I want you to talk about what, in in your own words, how this all unfolded. Okay. So on July 12th, um, Mary had a, she had a, it was a, she had a work meeting. It was a late work meeting, uh, July 12th, 2011. And at this time we lived in St. Joe and it was down in Kansas City. So she was down there and um, Zena was flying back from San Diego uh, to Kansas City. So she picked her up and it was it was this horrible rainstorm. I mean, it was a really bad storm. Um, Mary was worried like the plane wouldn't land or there, it would divert someplace else because the storm was really bad. And so she was chatting with Rebecca quite a bit. It was on the phone and text both at this time. And then whenever she did pick Zena up, she landed. Um, and it's about 30, it was about 45 minute drive from the airport to our house. So Mary's talking to Rebecca this 45 minutes all the way home. And just Rebecca's just telling her everything that had been going on with Max in short. Um, she was talking about, oh, uh, she did tell Mary that um, to uh, tell them, tell the mom, their mom, Pari, that she would call them the next day. Uh, she didn't want to talk to her tonight. Uh, Pari is real long winded. So if you start a conversation with her, it, it just really drags on. And I think Rebecca was just tired. Um, she said she was going to she was going to go to bed. That She was tired and she didn't want to have to talk to uh, her mom right then. And she'd call her tomorrow. And then as she pulled in the driveway, they hung up. And, you know, you get ready for bed because it was late. I want to say maybe 9 or 10 our time. Maybe it could have been around 8. That I, I really don't remember the exact. I know it was dark. And uh, 
they texted a little bit before Mary went to bed, and then um, that was it. We just went to sleep that night. Um, so Mary was, uh, she was the last person, well, well the last family member uh, to talk to Rebecca that night before she was killed. Sure. So this would have been the morning of July 13th. Uh, Mary went to work, and I was home. I was on evenings then, so I didn't have to go to work until uh, 3 o'clock. And I was home. I think I was mowing grass. I was. I was mowing the yard. And um, I came inside to get a drink of water, and my phone rang. Um, and Jonah had called. I want to say it was It was still in the morning. Um, I don't remember the exact time. Uh, but the Jonah, he, he asked me if I was if I was sitting down, if I was by myself. And I was like, yes. And I thought he was going to tell me something about Max. I thought he was just, you know, something had happened to Max and he was just letting me know. Um, and then he told me that Rebecca had hung herself. Um, I just, I, 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 it didn't, it didn't click. I, I, I just, I remember asking him, you know, what happened? Cause this was all weird. I mean, it's extremely strange. We've got, you know, Max has fallen on this Monday and then it was a rush. He wanted Zena out of there. So we, we did all this. And, you know, Becky's giving us updates on Max. And the last we heard was that uh, Max was actually doing a little bit better. Um, and Jonah or uh, Rebecca even said that Jonah had looked optimistic. So it looked like things were getting better from what we were being told. Um and then I was like, what? And he said that Rebecca had hung herself. And I just, <laughs> I'm like, no, there's, there's no way. It just, I don't, why? I mean, she has no reason to do this. I was like, you know, I, I don't get it. I just, none of this makes any sense. And he just kept saying over and over again how he had never been to the house and uh, he was still at the hospital with Max. And then, um, well, after that, we got off the phone, um, and uh, I, I went in. And Mary was at work, so I did. I, I just went into her work, and I pulled her out. She was in her clinic. She was seeing patients, and I'm like, I got to talk to you about Becky, so I told her, and uh, it was uh, – <laughs> that was tough. Oh my God, that was tough. Just to just to go in her office and have to tell her that you know your your sister is she died, right? And you know I'm just being told that she hung herself. I, I I knew no details. I knew nothing. The only thing he said was that Rebecca uh, had hung herself. Um, now in the totality of everything, at this moment in time, you know we're we're really in the dark. The only thing we know that Rebecca's dead. And she's hung. Um, I, we had no idea she was outside. I, okay. I had no idea she was outside. I had no idea she was naked. I didn't know she was bound with her hands behind her back, her feet bound, a gag in her mouth. I mean, all of these, you know, details that should have been relayed in, in some fashion. Um, you know, I mean, when you think someone's hung, I mean, those – you. You would never expect that you, along with being hung is nude, bound, you know, wrist and feet behind her back. Then later you find out sexually assaulted with a knife handle, uh, unexplained how to get from A to B. 
you know, it's just very, it's bizarre. So th none of those factors were coming into play. So uh, we left her car at her work and I remember we were driving and we stopped at like some cigarette store, like cigars and cigarettes or something. I don't remember, probably a six pack. And uh, um, she was on the phone with Jonah. And then that's whenever I found out about Adam. I mean, I didn't even know Adam was a, I, didn't, I had no idea who Adam was. I didn't know Jonah had a brother. Um, none of this stuff. Um, I didn't even know that Adam, that Rebecca had picked up Adam at the airport. She had dropped Zena off and she had to wait two hours because she was picking up Adam. I, you know, none of the stuff we knew. Right. Um, so from there, um, uh, Jonah gave me, uh, Adam's phone number and then Mary called Adam. So Mary has a conversation, conversation with Adam on the phone and all of a sudden, I mean, she just turned this real pale white and she just handed me the phone. Well, is what he had told her is she asked, she was asking him what had happened. And he's like, well, I don't know how to tell you this. I don't want to push another person over the edge or something along those lines. It was a really, it was the worst comment you could say to her at the time. And sure. remember, we still just think she was hung. And for some reason, I had this thought like it was in a closet and i don't know why i don't think jonah had mentioned that to me but i think my mind it maybe had just created that I, I don't know but i know that it was for some reason i kept thinking inside like a closet or something so i took mary home and um then i had to go get her mom and dad uh they lived well not far from us so then i went and picked them up um, brought them back to the house. So we've got, you know, all of Rebecca's family, immediate family, well, a lot, most of them. Uh, the other ones were in Germany. So, uh, so Mary tells them, and I mean, it's, it's just a mess, you know, it, it's chaos. It's, it's emotional. And her dad liked to watch the news. Uh, he, he was real quiet. He didn't say a whole lot, um, just in general. And then he got real quiet this day it, to find out, you know, your, your second born is, is dead. And we have no explanations because we, not a single authority has talked to us yet hmm. at this time. Um, so, uh, we had a TV upstairs. It was like a little family room we had upstairs. And so we, we get him up there and I've got her mom and dad and and they're up there. You know, you just you just turn the TV on, you know, you kick it on the news and then you just kind of walk away. Uh -huh. Well, as soon as I walk away, there's all sorts of yelling and screaming going on. And Mary's looking at me and, and you know, sometimes you just can't get your finger on the button fast enough to change the channel. Well, Becky was on TV. Oh, my God. You know, that's when the. And there, you know, I mean, I didn't know. I mean, none of us knew that she was outside in this courtyard. And, you know, I, I just I'll never forget those images just, you know, where she's she's got that blue scarf. It was it ended up being a T-shirt. It looked like a scarf on on on, uh, on the news that day. And then you got this long rope and she's nude and none of this had been conveyed to us. So I'm just like, gosh, you know, what the hell is going on? This is like, it's getting worse and worse. So um, then I ended up calling her, her sister in Germany 
and we we told her as well um and i had never i had met i'd never met her before i mean we've just been married in 2010 and you know she lived in germany and now this is i mean this is just over a year later we just had our daughter and uh so i told her um and uh it was just uh, you know i guess you you really don't forget those events uh, of that day you know it's like i can still remember you know moving through the house and hearing them upstairs and thinking oh my gosh you know what is all that what's what happened if it just turned on the tv <laughs> what happened well, I didn't realize Becky. And then, you know, you changed channel. It didn't matter what channel you went to. It was all it was all in the news. Um, some media had started calling. Uh, they were calling Mary. Um, I think she just shut her phone off there for a while. Yeah. Um, and then later in the day, um, and I can't remember if we had any contact with Jonah again after that. I mean, I really, I really don't remember. Uh, after that moment in the living room, well, it turns into kind of like a fog. I really don't remember what, sure. what happened next. Um, I do remember talking to a, a deputy, and um, he confirmed that, you know, they, they think it was Rebecca. They're not sure at this time. Um, but I said, he was asking me some questions, and I was like, you know, look, we're, we're in the process of getting our, our flights squared away, and we're going to be out there tomorrow. I'll just I'll talk to you then. Uh, you know, well, I'll meet you face to face. I'll just talk to you then, uh, you know, after the story that I got doesn't match really what I'm seeing on TV. I, I really don't want to talk to anybody on the phone unless I see who they are. Yeah. And he said, no, 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 don't come out here. There's no reason to come out here. We, we can take care of all this for you. And I just said, no, I, we, we will be out there tomorrow. And, and then the conversation ended. I, I don't remember how it, it actually ended, but it, it did end then then we did we we did fly out to california uh san diego that next day okay if we could then talk about your thoughts on the evidence or are you can you talk about what you think about that or is the attorney not wanting you to talk about your opinions on that um i can talk about some things i can go into that i don't have a problem with that at all Hustle and bustle of the crime scene. Look, I, I get you can, you know, overlook things and stuff like that. But I mean, there's a lot of stuff that was overlooked and a lot of things not done. So, I mean, you know, how many things do you get overlooked before it's like, okay, now you, now you don't even care. Right. So, but right. yeah, with, with the knife, if you, and that rope, if you just go buy a ski rope, make sure you buy one that doesn't have a metal wire through it. Some do. Try and use a knife like this to cut it. It's really hard. Yeah. Um, I haven't done I haven't actually done it myself yet, but I'm told. And you, you do need the serrated one. But yeah, she was holding it like this. But then if you stand up and put your hands behind your back, it kind of lines up. Um, and that's just, you know, like when the when they came to our house, um, Angela Sweeta, she was the lead detective, and Jonathan Lucas, the medical examiner, at the conclusion of their investigation they they flew to phoenix they told john the results of rebecca's case and max's case and then they came to uh saint joe to tell us of rebecca's case so i always thought it was it was just kind of disrespectful to to let john know what happened to becky before letting the family know what happened to becky yeah. um not that that changes the course of the investigation not that that would change how she died you know 
but I'm, just as far as like respect to the family, day one, you told me not to come out there. And throughout all this, you're telling Jonah information. That's where I'm getting my updates on the, on the investigation was coming from Jonah. Because when we would call in there, or it was me, when I would call, they would simply say, I can't tell you anything because it's under investigation. I'm like, well, you, I just got a phone with Jonah and he told me all this. And it just, that was the last time I talked to him. So it's just like, it's just like one thing after another, as far as like, you know, it, it, it's like they got on the bus and just left us on the side of the road. They didn't, right. we weren't part of anything, you know, we were just being told where to go and how to act. But then they're, they're telling Jonah everything. And then they even tell Jonah what happened to Becky before they even tell Rebecca's family. They're not married, you know, um, even if they had said, you know, this is a homicide. I still would have thought that was disrespectful to go and tell Jonah what happened to Rebecca's investigation before you come tell Rebecca's family what had happened. Now, another thing that happened was Rebecca's, they had some of Rebecca's property. They released it to Jonah, who then shipped it to us. When Mary specifically told them, they called Mary, it was on her birthday, it was August 17th, and they said that um, she was talking to uh, Angela Sweeta. And that's when Mary had told her that, you know, because they had some property. And Mary's like, well, send it to us. And she's like, well, I'll just pack it up and send it to Jonah. And she's like, no, do not. He's not. He's just a boyfriend at the time. Right. He, he's not her husband. He's not family. Um, you need to send that to us. She didn't. She, she returned it to Jonah. So I, I don't know if he kept any of it or if he didn't keep any of it. You know, I don't know. I don't know what was sent. We were never told. But... So there, it was Jonathan Lucas was at the house along with Angela Sweeta, and they were telling us about this about the investigation. Um, this is what you know. We found out later. Um, they did not tell us that she was sexually assaulted with a knife handle. They never mentioned anything like that. Um, they didn't talk about any, you know, lack of DNA or, or or stuff like that. Some of this is kind of like a fog. I don't remember uh, everything they talked about. Um, it just it kind of happened real fast. I know um, Lucas, the medical examiner, because um, I asked him um, about the knots, and he said that they were loose. Um, but then, like I said, if you go back and listen to Adam's interview with, with deputies, he mentions it multiple times, how he, they were tight. And he goes in really good detail. I mean, he's really detail-oriented on about how tight these knots were. Right. But then no one told it. No one told Lucas. They didn't, they didn't even write it down. I mean, you have to go through and listen to the interview to hear him say it. Um, so he was, he was big on that. Uh, Lucas was really big on the knots being loose. You know, and as a, as a medical examiner, or even as, you know, I could see that if you did see somebody who was tied up loosely, you know, I would bring that into question too. But she, you know, later, I mean, years later, we find out that it's actually the, the knots were actually, or the bindings around her wrist were actually like tight. They weren't loose. And then, you know, whenever we have another expert look at it, Paul Holes, who's he's great, by the way. So with with Lucas, he was talking about how the knots were loose and, and Adam had actually loosened them. So that means it's an altered scene. You know, that means it's different than what it was originally found. Um, Adam said that the 911 dispatcher had told him to do it. Um, it's not on the tape, at least not on the tape that I've listened to. So I've always kind of questioned that a little bit. Um, 
just with with Adam and the things that he said. I mean, he does say some strange things, and Lucas was concerned about that. And I did ask about, you know, if you know, they said that there was no injuries really to her. Now, if you go back when we flew into San Diego, we we did meet with deputies. Uh, we met with them twice. It was Mary and I. And then it was Mary, I, and her sister, and her sister's husband. And through the course of these two meetings when we met, they kept telling us that Rebecca had no marks. She had zero marks, okay? None whatsoever. One of the deputies, actually, um, he, he gets up out of his chair, and he demonstrates in front of us what it would look like if a person was tying up another person. And he's he's saying, I would expect a big bruise to the back, like a knee to the back. And this man drives his knee into the floor and then, you know, simulating like he's tying somebody up. So they're making us believe that there's no marks on Rebecca other than like the plants she had hit, some scratches, okay? Well, first they said no marks. And then Mary's younger sister had said, well, I saw her because we had seen her in a funeral home in San Diego. And that she had some scratches. And then they said, well, she had some scratches from some plants and whatnot. So now she goes from zero marks, absolutely none, 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 zero marks to, well, now she has some scratches from the plants that were, that she had come in contact with. So, but this bruise in the back, I'll just never forget how he's like, he repeated it over and over and over again. Well, if you fast forward all the way to um, when our, attorney gets on board, Keith Greer. I was talking to Keith one day and now as far as our relationship with Keith, uh, he's very respectful. Um, and he didn't, he realized all the media attention that we had when he came on board and he didn't want to hurt us anymore. So he did, he kept a lot of the like autopsy photos and the injuries to Becky away from us. And it was fine. Okay. We were totally okay with that. Um, we, we saw enough that day on TV sure. um, knowing that it, this is going to end up in a trial. So I was talking to him on the phone one day and I told him the same thing I just mentioned to you about this knee and this, you know, bruise in the back. And he literally dropped his phone. So he, he picks his phone back up and he says she has a big bruise in her back just exactly where this deputy had pointed out to me if someone was tying up. So how do you account for this bruise in the back? Um, and like I said, a lot of this goes to, you know, our, our distrust with the sheriff's office down there. Right. Um, if you, if you have a couple lies and you really want to call them lies or deceptions or omissions, or they say they want to protect us by us not knowing some things, I, you know, I can't accept that. I, I just, I just can't. If, if, if Rebecca had truly and honestly committed suicide and killed herself, then why would you omit these, these other factors into place and just say, look, we looked into everything and she has some bruises that are unexplained. We just can't explain them or, or something, but see, that didn't happen. So why would you not tell us that? There is, I, in my opinion, I don't think there's a reason you, you would omit things. Kind of, why would you say zero marks when she has marks? You know, I, I'll never get that that phrase out of my head. They just kept repeating it over and over and over again. Zero marks, zero marks, zero. They, 
and then now I find out years later that she's got this big bruise on her back in the same place that this deputy told me that he expected it to see or expected to find one. So <clears throat> now we're back in my kitchen and they keep saying that there's, you know, there's no DNA, there's no nothing. And then that's when they showed us the picture of the, uh, the writing that was on the door. Right. Through the entire course of this investigation, everything that took place, they never asked us about Rebecca's handwriting. Not one time. They never asked us anything about if she wrote. I take that back. They did ask us if she painted, and and she did. She painted like you know, art stuff, like animals and flowers and sure. you know, stuff like that. And everything Rebecca wrote, she wrote in that, oh, it's that god-awful old English loop, you know, like your grandma <laughs> would write in and, and yeah. read it. That's how she wrote. It was all that, I don't even know how to describe it. It was, she was really, she had a very good handwriting style. Sure. And this, this block letters on the door, it looks nothing. And, you know, Mary says that she's never seen it. Rebecca ever write anything quite like that. Um, it was just completely odd out of place. Um, I know that they'd also said that they couldn't match up handwriting to paint that that's painted versus right. you know handwriting the thing with those brushes though they're about the size of a pen and then you hold it like a pen so then it would match and you know uniquely enough uh, adam his handwriting looks all it looks just like what's written on the door yeah i'm not a handwriting expert i'm just saying it looks i mean if i was to put those two together i'd say it looks like this um, I think most people would say the same thing. Um, but you know, why didn't they even just attempt to try and get, you know, okay, Adam, right. how do you write? Just, just write something down. You know, we gave you this polygraph and, you know, write something down for us. Just, just write a phrase, you know, we don't care what it is. Even in trial, it came out that he's a poet and he writes some kind of poems. Um, I don't remember the genre, but, um, but even with the polygraph, if you go back to the polygraph, so we're in San Diego and it's that same detective that demonstrated to us how Rebecca was being tied up with a knee in the back. He says, we gave Adam a polygraph and he passed in record time with flying colors. I'm like, okay, now at this time, you know, we'll believe that. Why would we not? I have no reason not to trust these people at all whatsoever. Well, and then you, you see these press conferences, Becky's case, they say it's suicide. And, you know, we're all thinking, you know, Rebecca has never been depressed. She's never even had any of these kind of thoughts. She never told anybody that she was responsible for Max's death or his injury or his fall. You know, she never owned it. She felt bad because of what was going on. But, she you know, she never said that she should have been there. She did something wrong. So... Rebecca has no personal ownership to what had happened to him. Um, but now she's so distraught, she wants to kill herself. Right. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. Then they say he passed the polygraph. We're watching it on TV. And it was inconclusive. 
Well, that's not what you told me. You told me that he had passed. Well, if you tell me he passed, I think he passed. Well, if you tell me, now I find out it's different. And then later on, I find out about a bruise. You know, when all these, and I'm like, you guys, you know, I just go back to zero marks. Well, there's a lot of marks on her. And then passing the polygraph, well, not so much. Um, you know, and then we've had, there's been three uh, separate polygraphists analyze that polygraph. All three of them said that he showed deception. All three of them. So, I mean, he did not pass the polygraph. No. I mean, he didn't do it. Um, yeah. But they were trying to claim that, that he did. And that, that just, none of this, you know, how we were treated and the things that they said to us just didn't match up with what was going on in the back or with the, with the actual investigation. Um, another thing I remember I was talking to Sweeta, it was on the phone and I was talking, we were talking about cell phones and different cell phones and everything. And I asked her about Adams because th they had Rebecca's, and I was curious what they had of Adam's. And she said they didn't take Adam's cell phones, that the only cell phone that they had was Rebecca's. And she said that they would be getting cell phone records. And I said, cell phone records for everybody. And she's like, yes. I was like, including Adam. And I mentioned everybody's name. Okay. And she's like, yes. I'm like, okay. Well, come to find out, they never took Adam's cell phone. And they do not have Adam's cell phone records well he's the last person to see her alive he he had a conversation with her he told uh investigators that when they got back to the main house um he thought that she was going to invite him into the main house i'm like but i don't understand i mean why would she do that and he said if you ever want to talk you know i'm right here come get me you know and so he's the last person to see her alive uh, he's a, he's, he, he is the one who can put her in the main house. Now, while she is in the main house, she's on the phone with Mary. Right. That's when Mary's driving home from the airport. So, and then Adam goes to the guest house. Adam even admits he's looking up porn on his phone. Uh, they don't know, they, they never asked him what kind of porn. So she goes in the main house and then he goes to, uh, the guest house. Um, but yeah, they never got that. Um, and even the voicemail, if you look at the, the warrants that they issued, they issued two warrants for cell phones. Uh, and the warrants that they issued were for people who were not present on the property. They were elsewhere. Um, well, we were told that they tried to get the voicemail. This is still in my kitchen. And she tells me that, you know, we tried to get this voicemail message, but it had been deleted. And after 30 days, you know, you just can't get it. Well, if you look at their search warrant date, their search warrant date is 42 days after Rebecca's death. I have no idea why you would wait 42 days to write search warrants, but then you don't include Rebecca's in these warrants, okay? So there was, in the documentation that's been provided to us, uh, there's no preservation of letter of evidence or preservation of evidence uh, sent to AT&T to hold that voicemail. And there was never a warrant sent to get that voicemail. So when they told me that they tried to get a voicemail, where did you try? I mean, what did you right. do to try and get that? Right. 
you know, I, I don't I don't see any evidence or documentation of you you making an effort to get this. Now, the voicemail is really important because it starts a timeline. And they based everything off Rebecca's timeline on her death from that voicemail. But then they did they failed to secure it. Well, you you have to secure that to start a timeline. I don't care what kind of forensic evidence that you can find, you have to start your timeline. Right. You you I do care about forensic evidence, don't get me wrong. But you have to start a timeline. You you need to secure, you need to have a hard timeline. And they had they it was available to them on Sweeta's report on day three, she is holding Rebecca's phone in her hand. She has it. And her report says she had to manually go through it because they didn't have the technology to download or to do a, an image of her phone, which that, I mean, that's understandable. That's, that's fine. But at that moment in time, you, this is day three. Well, you waited 42 days to even get a search warrant, but it's on the wrong, it's on the wrong phone. Right. Exactly. You know, if you had called, if you had called me and left me a voicemail, a warrant on your phone wouldn't do any good to try and get it because that's just going right. to, it's just going to show your call records that you called me. Right. That's it. So I've got a huge problem with that voicemail. Um, I, I think it's, I think it's bogus. I, I think there was maybe a voicemail there, but I'm, I mean, I'm not going to say it was what was supposedly said. Right. I have no idea. Nobody has heard this message. Nobody. And nobody tried to get it. Right. And so I was actually going to bring that, that up, how they basically defended themselves with this voicemail. Mm-hmm. That was kind of like the basis of everything. They say that Jonah actually told them, right, that he had called her and said, you know, Max isn't going to make it or something like that. And then that's kind of what set her that's off and, and started all of this. That's what they say. Um, but there's no evidence Correct. of that. Well, how, how do we know that? Well, we don't know. That's, that's exactly. just an unknown. Right. Um, now, the thing that, that Mary and I are pushing for so hard now is we do. I would love for another agency. I mean, the sheriff down there said that he would let any agency come in and, right. and look at their investigation. Well, you don't do it. How about this? Write a search warrant for that phone. For... You can still get Adam's cell phone records. They should still be available after this many years, I would hope. Yeah. Uh, it's getting close, I think. But um, I think it would be helpful to get that, you know. And then further with um, with her cell phone and then Adam's cell phone, I mean, that's just something you need. Hers, uh, Rebecca Zahau became a very, very important person. Um, there's like 20,000 kilobytes of data that had been removed from her phone while it was in evidence. Um, and I always thought that was kind of odd. Yeah. Um, that means it's on. That means it's powered up. And that means it's still connected to the network. It, it should not be connected to the network. Once it's in evidence, it should be put in a Faraday bag and then removed from the network. So, and this goes on and on and on. There's like a download almost every day, every other day. This is continuous for like the next six weeks. It, it just... The download after download after download. Uh, we we actually have her cell phone records, and you can see all the data downloads. But then, when we uh, they did do a forensic exam of her phone, and then we hired an expert to go down and do the same thing. So we get that document, and it's weird. My phone number is not even in there. 
Mary's phone number is wrong. Her mom and dad's phone number is still the one in Germany. It's it's old data. Like the current data is not there. Well, why has all this been taken out? Why? I mean, whether it happened, how it did happen, for one. And then what's the reason that, who wants this information away from Rebecca's phone? I mean, right. who is she? So, I mean, she's somebody very important to us. Of course. But, you know, as far as all this missing is really bizarre. I mean, now I've got, she's, she's bound. She's sexually assaulted with a knife. And she has gag in her mouth. You know, there's, you can't quantify how to get from A to B and the bed only moves seven inches. Uh, I've got, he, he passed the polygraph. Well, he really didn't pass the polygraph. We, we tried to get the voicemail. Well, he really didn't try to get the voicemail. And now I've got this, her cell phone is missing all this information. I'm you know, I mean, yeah, we're, we're not happy. What was their, um, their, their rebuttal to the knife, to the sexual assault? What did they say? Because I know in court, Keith Greer had talked about how it was, it was evident that there was blood on all sides of that knife. And then there was even like a swipe mark or something on her inner thigh. Right. And yes, what did they yes, say? What did they, what was their, I mean, obviously she didn't do it herself. How did they come up against that? Um, I don't know. I wasn't in court that day. Uh, I, Mary was out there every day. I, mm -hmm. I came back. Um, but I do know now they did that case review. Right. And um, when we were talking to them on the case review, uh, that was one of the items that uh, Keith had brought up. And they still ruled suicide. So Keith had brought up, you know, the blood on the knife. Initially, they said that maybe she was holding that knife between her legs while she was using to cut the rope, and that's what would have caused that. Um, well, I, I, I don't think that's possible at yeah. all. Um, in that same um, briefing that we had, now mind you, they called me on December 6, 2018, and they said that we've, we've come to an end of the case review, and we'd like to talk to the family um, sometime today. Um, they called me mid-afternoon, my time. So, I mean, there's no way I could get Mary and everybody on board. And they said, well, we're going public tomorrow at, I don't remember what time it was, 10, 11, whatever it was. So they gave me less than 24 hours notice of this. This is the only conversation I had with them during this case review. So if you're going to conduct a case review, you would think that, I mean, not that I expected them to give us a call, but I, I kind of hoped that they would. Um, I think they talked to Keith once or twice. He sent them some information. Um, they said on this phone call that they didn't get it. So, uh, you know, I can't say whether they did, whether they didn't, you know, I don't know. I know Keith sent it. He said on that phone call, he's like, it says right here sent. But when we were going over like the placement of the fingerprints, you know, on the knife, when we were going over the blood on the, on the other knife handle and they were talking about the paint because she has paint on her body. Right. Um, but not on her hand, no paint on her hands. They didn't, they, they said that they, the placement of the fingerprints and the locations of the fingerprints on the, on the knife, for example, was irrelevant to their, their investigation, completely irrelevant. It was just that they were, her fingerprints were there and that they were present. Well, 
I mean, when you tell me that, I just kind of know that your, your, your review is truly a review. Um, because I just did, I mean, none of that makes any sense. And I don't want to use any examples. I want to take it for, you know, that's what they said. But for, you know, if you have someone who is tied up and they used a knife to cut things up, you would expect that person would have to hold that knife by the handle mm-hmm. when in fact that person's holding that knife by the blade. Well, no one holds a knife that way. I mean, it's just, it's just stupid, you know? So, especially not when you're cutting a rope, you can't, I mean, you can't cut a rope with the handle. So how could you hold it on the blade? You know what I mean? It just doesn't make any sense. Well, it doesn't. And see, that's the whole purpose of, that's what Greer did in trial with the jury as far as, look, you can say there is no DNA and there's no fingerprints. Well, of Adam. Well, there is no DNA or fingerprints of Adam anywhere if he had called not if after if after he'd finished that 911 call if he had just left they cannot put him on that scene forensically he there is no evidence of adam shacknight ever forensically being on that property he admitted to masturbating he slept in the bed he took two showers while he was there and you can't find his dna or fingerprints anywhere whether it's in the crime scene or outside the crime scene. I mean, that's, that's very strange. I mean, even if he never went in the house, he was all over the guest house. Right. And you can't find anything. Um, And then the case review says they were going through everything that the location of the fingerprints and the DNA and the blood or the blood. So the location of the fingerprints and the blood is irrelevant. It's just her blood. And all the paint was the same. That was just it. All the paint was the same. Well, <laughs> okay. But she's, it's almost like she's got the knife in her hands. And maybe does somebody else hold, hold them onto the, the handle? Right. You know, I, I don't know. There's just more questions. Adam had even admitted to offering her Ambien. This is when they were at the guest house, or they went in, and right before they split, where he, she goes to the main house and he goes to the guest house. He offers her Ambien, and she says she doesn't want it. Well, that detective that just, you know, demonstrated a knee in the back told us that they would test her for Ambien. Well, they never did. Right. They never tested her for Ambien. You know, that's a specific test, and you, they didn't do it. But, yeah, that's another reason why I'm just like, you know, hey, let's honestly, guys, let's just look at this. If, you, if, if a mistake was made, let's just fix it, okay? I, you know... And at the end of all this, I, you know, Mary and I, we, we would really like to have a meeting with the DA down there and just say, look, this is what we have. You know, it, it's all there. There's recordings on the sheriff's office side that you can listen to. And Adam says all this. And what Adam says contradicts what was concluded at the end. Right. So I would really hope a meeting with the DA, that would be nice. And has there, have you... Has the DA refused to meet with you or has that, has that even been, has that subject even been broached? Um, not yet. Not officially. Um, we will be. So well, like, like I said, um, with Paul Holes, um, he is, he's honestly a great guy. So Mary first met him when uh, they were filming the, that oxygen series, right. um, Death at the Mansion. She met him then. And Keith Greer met him, 
And I was talking to Keith about a year and a half ago about, you know, if, because I was looking for like an independent investigator that, that did cold cases. And I, I wanted his honest opinion. Just, I wanted to find somebody that would, you know, would honestly just look at this in totality and, and give us his opinion. And Greer had mentioned Paul. So I was like, okay. So I did. I got online. I looked up Paul and I sent him an email and he responded back in a couple of days. So we chatted back and forth a little bit and um, he, he sent an email back about, you know, when he could talk. And I, we were actually leaving town uh, to go visit my mom. And I was like, well, we're heading out of town to go visit my mom. And he just like, we're at, and I told him and he's like, well, that's where I live. So he actually lives in the same town my mom lives in and agreed to meet us for lunch. So we, we go out there, we see my mom and then we meet Paul for lunch and we do, we just explain everything, you know, like this is what we're, we're really hoping to like meet with the DA and you know, you are an old cold case investigator you know, what, what's your honest opinion of Becky's case? And so our, you know, lunch is like 30 minutes ended up being about two hours. Um, like I say, he's a great guy. And then it was, it was less than a month after that. Uh, he, he calls me or he reaches out to me, sent me an email and he said he's got a friend who is working on a crime scene app. And if I'd be interested, you know, and you're just kind of sure. You know, let me see what happens. So I get a phone call from the developer of crime door and we set up a zoom meeting. He goes through everything and I'm like, well, let me talk to Mary and we'll go from there. So Mary and I were talking about it. And um, the developer had called me again. His name's Neil. Uh, he's, a, he's a nice guy too, super nice guy. And he goes through everything. Um, and I was like, you know, we're still thinking about it. I was like, I don't, I don't know where we're at yet. And he understood. He's like, this isn't a decision you can just take lightly. So uh, we did another Zoom meeting. This time Mary's there. And he's, he had like a short presentation of a couple cases. And he goes through it. And it was probably the next week he'd call back again. And I said, we'll do it. You know, I, I think this is, I, I really think this is a good thing. And the thing that got me, the really got me on crime door was there's no bias. It's, it's just the crime scene. It's not any opinions of, of us or of the sheriff. It's just, you walk, you go in there and you can see everything that Adam would have seen that day. You get to see almost everything investigators would have saw. The only difference would have been the position of Becky's body, which was down when they got there. Um, but that's how it is. And, and you can, you know, you're going to see the same things that what we've been talking about all these years about, look, we need an independent investigation on this. Um, and then if you watch Paul's video, it, it's perfect. I mean, he lays it all out. I don't speak as good as Paul and, you know, neither is Mary, but he did. I mean, he laid it out just, just one thing after another of the stuff that was there. And, you know, everyone can agree that Rebecca's death is very bizarre, mysterious and intriguing. Okay. And I'm just kind of, I'm really trying to suffer myself emotionally on a lot of this, but it, it truly is. Okay. I mean, she, I mean, she's beautiful and, you know, she's, 
in a very compromised position. It's unexplainable death. And you've got the explanation doesn't match what is seen. So that's crime door. And, you know, Neil's team, they are completely professional. Um, even when they were in the design phases of it. Have you guys seen been to Becky's door yet? Yeah. Yeah. So I unlocked all of that for that $1.99, which I want to make sure that you talk about that too. Okay. With, with crime door, you do, you get to watch Paul's video and then you can experience Rebecca's crime scene. And it, it is, it's, it's graphic and it's tough to see, you know, but in reality, it's no difference than July 13th. You know, she's on every news network for days and this is the same thing. But you see what Adam saw, you know, and Adam said he comes outside, he sees her hanging and he's like, he's on 911 and says this woman hung herself. Well, who would think that? Right. You know, I mean, that's kind of a, that's kind of a weird thing to say. Um, if you didn't know anything about it, you would say she's hanging, you right. know, or, or maybe someone hung her or I don't know. But, you know, he was very matter of fact of she did this to herself. Right. Um. Even on that call, he 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 put it the crime is happening in the guest house. Well, she's outside in the courtyard. Right. So I always thought there was a lot of things on nine one one call I thought were kind of strange. Yeah. I am a little now, mind you, I am gonna be biased. Okay. I, I do think I, I overlook into things a lot. It's it's Becky, you know. But and the gist of things, he did say the guest house. That's not the guest house. It's that's two separate locations. Um so the crime door, like I said, you get, you can see all that, you know, and you match it up with Paul and then you can go through and there's other pot. I have not been through the entire thing. Yet. Um, to be honest, um, Becky has two doors. Um, on my phone, I have only been to the bedroom door. I have, I, I have not been to the, the courtyard. Um, during the design phase, I did have to see, you know, when we were going through there and it was, it was tough. Um, but I, I don't wish I hadn't done it. I think it was a good decision so far. Um, because we do, we want this out in the public. Um, uh, we've been trying to, you know, get another agency to look at this and, you know, um, I think this is a step to get to the DA. I mean, I, I don't think it's going to, I think that crime door will help us get further in this than without it. Um, yeah. I think it's great technology. And I think everybody, like I said, it's a it's a dollar ninety nine, um, and it does help us with our legal fees. It truly does. Uh, they are we we have a lot of bills. That part would be helpful, yes. Um, but even before that, you know, uh, that was something Neil offered after we'd already agreed to be on board with him. Um, and I thought that was a really nice gesture of him to do that. It, it that wasn't something that was upfront saying, hey, you know, I'll 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 help you out with this. It was. It was strictly, yes, we will, we'll do this. And then later on, he's like, you know what? I want to help you guys. He's like, I truly do. Uh, he got into Rebecca's case and he probably saw the same thing we did and said, no, I want to help you guys. And, you know, he has been that way ever since that day. He, every time we talk to him, he's like, you know, I really want to help you guys out and uh, let's do this. So that's how we ended up with Crime Door. It's kind of weird, you know, an email to Paul Holes gets us all the way to Crime Door. Yeah. And now we're 
we're actually starting to get to where, you know, now everyone can see what we've been talking about because you can read a report and you're going to miss 80% of the details that we're talking about. But when you visually see it, now you know what we're talking about. And, you know, some people will probably feel what we're talking about by how crime door is set up. So I hope it works. I really do. Um, I hope the DA would see it. I would love for her to look at it. Uh, even even people in the sheriff's office, you know, look at it. this is what we're talking about. And you know, look, I realize you guys that the sheriff's office they they probably don't like this case. They probably don't like us. But you know, you've got to put your personal feelings aside and say, look, this is what we have. This is what you have, and this is what you said. Can we just have a, a meeting with everybody together? You know, bring the ME, the DA, and the sheriff together. I don't. We we have nothing to hide. Right. You know, and and just have an honest, just a conversation about how this worked and how this worked and then go from there. Because there's 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 got to be some give here and right. there's not. So the main goal for your family is to get obviously to get a meeting with the D.A. And then also to get another agency to look over this case and actually go through it. Yes. Our actual goal is to. uh have this change from a suicide to a homicide. Right. So it'll, that'll go through the medical examiner's office and we're getting ready to file a writ with the ME where he's going to have to look all this evidence, look at all the evidence that we have. And then this is why we feel it's a homicide. Um, and then go forward from there. Now, once it's a homicide, well then that would change things. I hope with the sheriff's office and the DA, you know, um, that now it's a homicide, it's not a suicide. So you can't say, well, the, the ME ruled as suicide. Well, he did. Well, but the knots aren't loose as the ME said so. Right. You know, they're, they're actually tight. Right. Um, and the, the other things that I mentioned earlier. Right. So. It's a lot. It's a lot to, I mean, this, this case is so, there's so much. There's so much to go through. Because even Paul, when he first looked at this, uh, he even told uh, Mary, he's like, when I looked at this, he's like, I expected to tell you this was this is a suicide and he's like i I can't do it he's like i can't say that and that's back when he did the show and then when greer had met him greer had actually said you know paul really seemed to have like a real big interest to get into this so then when i reached out to him i mean it you know you 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 remember certain emails you send in life you know that one's like i'm so glad you know you type it up but you don't send it yeah you know because here's a you know, it's just me, and I'm just going to send this email to Paul. Okay, you know, how many emails does this guy get in a day? You know, he's probably just inundated with emails and calls, right? And, yet, you know, and then I'm like, okay, I'll try. You know, you, you know the answer is going to be no if you don't do it. So I went ahead and sent him one. And, you know, then he respond back, and then, you know, you get lunch with the guy, and then he tells you exactly what he thinks. You're like, holy cow, yes, you know, this is, yeah. thank you. And then, he, then you end up, now you're talking to this guy about an app, and you're like, wow. I go from an email to an app to nothing. It's just weird. And it's, you know, we're just, we're just really trying to be positive when we truly are. And I, I really hope that we can get a meet. I don't understand how we couldn't, to be honest. Yeah. Well, I guess I could understand how. I don't understand the why. And then, you know, go from there. Just one little thing at a time. Is there anything else that you would want like the listeners of our podcast to know 
about. I mean, I think that you've, you've kind of covered the, the majority of it. And I think that what we didn't touch on, I'll make sure that I say. Um, but is there anything else that you want to talk about? You know, I will say, I'll say something personal about Mary. I, I really will. You know, my wife is, she's a very strong-willed person. Um, she has her moments. When this is going to be 2010-ish, Rebecca was into like not bodybuilding, but like body sculpting to where it is. I, I probably even used the term wrong after all these years. It just it was a different type of workout, but you, you still go on stage. OK, so several years ago, Mary decided to start doing this. So she's she hired a trainer and she started, you know, training. She's you know, measuring her food. And she's working her, she's working her butt off. You know, she's in the gym, she's doing everything. She goes to a couple of shows and she's first and you know, she's getting second and third. She goes a few more, she's getting second and third. And on the one, she got fourth and she's really getting frustrated because every time she does one of these shows, you know, they kind of announce um, why, who you are and why you're here. And she does every single one of these for Rebecca. She dedicates all of this to Rebecca. Well, uh, the last one she did, uh, she ended up getting first place. So she, she got her pro card, and she just started uh, training again, and she's going to do another one for Rebecca now. So she, she, uh, she, is, she is doing everything she can to um, – she does this for Becky. That's amazing. I'm proud of her for doing that. I really am. Um, See, her and Becky wanted to do it. She, she, Becky was really pushing her, but uh, she was pregnant with Naomi at the time, our daughter. Well, you can't do, you know, that kind of weightlifting. Sure. And then we had Naomi in uh, spring of 2011. We actually were at the house in Coronado for five to seven days. And so Becky did get to see our daughter. Um you know, she doesn't remember Becky, but uh, we were out there, saw Becky, and uh, that would have been, I think that was April. April of 2011, we were actually at the house. We stayed in the guest house, um, and then then July came around, and, uh, you know, he killed Rebecca. So, but she does. Mary, she dedicates every show to her, and, you know, it's, it when she, when she got that first place, I was like, oh, thank God. You know, she got yeah. it. I was so proud of her. That took her out yeah. for French fries. So oh. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> she is. I mean, and but yeah, even with Becky's case, like I said, that that's just the surface with you guys. Um, right. Let me know if you want anything more. Thank you, guys. Yeah. Thank you, you and you both. Stay in touch. So let's keep yeah. this going. Okay. Right. Thank you. Have thank a good you. night. And I just wanted to really quickly throw a thank you to Doug Laner. And Mary, which is Rebecca's sister, they have been so incredibly supportive throughout mm -hmm. this. And when Doug first reached out to us to do this podcast, I immediately knew I wanted to. Mm -hmm. But I never expected him to be so helpful and forthcoming yeah. with everything. And he really has been. He's been a complete and total gem to work with. So we really, really appreciate you, Doug. I know that you're listening to this. So thank you so much. Thank you. For all of your work as well. Mm-hmm. And you know something else I just found out what? from Doug the other day is that every year Mary goes to Arizona 
And they actually, so Rebecca lived in Phoenix, Arizona. Yeah. And Rebecca loved running up Camelback Mountain. Mary went to visit her one time and they raced up to the top of Camelback. Oh. Mm-hmm. Could oh. you imagine? <laughs> I could never run up a mountain. (laughs) Um, But Rebecca won. So the next year, Mary trained and she ended up beating Rebecca. You know how in the first (laughs) episode, I talked about how they really, like, inspired each other to do better and be better. Yeah, yeah. Um, But now Mary heads to Phoenix every single year to run up Camelback Mountain. And she does it on Rebecca's birthday, which is March 15th. Oh, my God. My heart. I know. Mary is wonderful at keeping Rebecca's spirit alive. Mm -hmm. She really, really is. She does so many different things. And she honors Rebecca while doing it. Yeah, that's beautiful. I feel like we need to segue into reading, watching, listening. Let's do it. What are you reading, watching, listening? (laughs) Reading. Okay. I finished that book, um, Not That I Could Tell, by Jessica Strasser. I know that I said I started it last yeah. time, I think. Yes, you did. I finished that one. It was really well written as far as <laughs> the writing. Um, I just thought that it was going to be like thrillery, mystery, like, yeah. and you kind of know what happens the whole time, not because it was like poorly plotted, yeah. but because they kind of tell you. Right. And it was more about, like, it was very character-driven. Like, more their, contemporary. Their backstories. Yeah. A lot more of the backstories of the different, because there's different points of view from the different women. Like, um, contemporary suspense. There really wasn't any suspense, though. No? Not really. It was really, really focused on, on these girls, oh. women's lives. And there was one of, like, their friend was missing. I don't know. It was just, it was a little weird to me, and I kind of wanted more darkness i guess from it yeah but it i mean it was i don't regret listening to it oh that's audiobook no regrets no regrets um and then i finished this morning i finished the good daughter by karen slaughter oh my god karen slaughter karen slaughter you beast she does not hold back and if any of you have never read a karen slaughter book i mean i highly recommend them she's one of my favorites but you got to make sure you're okay and in a good place. She is very, very... Vivid. Vivid and... Descriptive. If you have any triggers at all, just go ahead and assume that those triggers are going to be explored in any of her books. They will be triggered. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> it was very, very good. I gave five stars. Should we put the sound oh. of people clapping? Clap, 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 clap. Snap yeah. your fingers at the poetry reading. Um, What about you? What are you up to? What are you doing? <laughs> um, so my life has basically been researching the Rebecca Zahau case, really diving deep into the Crime Door app, really just making sure my child is fed. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I'm still listening to the wife upstairs when I can. I downloaded The Good Daughter. I've read a lot of Karen Slaughter. I've never read The Good Daughter. Um, but I downloaded it on Audible. I know you were listening to Red Handed. I've been listening to a few episodes of Red Handed. Um, I really like them, but the ones that I've listened to have been very similar to ours. Mm -hmm. So we'll joke around about things in the beginning or at the end, but when we're talking about the crime that was committed, we're very serious. Yeah. There's not joking, which is how I think it should be. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'm biased, but I think that we're talking about someone's life. Right. Whether we're talking about a disappearance or we're talking about a murder, we're talking about a cult. Th- those are, these are lives. Mm-hmm. And I don't agree with joking 
and being besides when I call Richard Ramirez dick for an entire yeah. episode if I we're, mean that's if we're fine, joking right? about the murderer <laughs> at the murderer's expense sure fine but never about the family no that's not okay um but anyway so that was a little tangent all to say that I really enjoyed the few episodes of red-handed that I've listened to I've also been listening here and there when I'm driving to the let's not meet podcast which we've talked about mm-hmm. before I also have been listening. I also, I also, I also, <laughs> I also have listened to Radio Headspace, which is just a quick little like five-ish minute podcast in the morning that talks about different topics. It's more of like a mental health type of podcast. Mm-hmm. It's been busy, busy times. It really has been, yeah. Busy, busy lives. And next week, you guys had two weeks of me. Ew. In a row. So next week, Katie's going to be taking the reins again. I'm going to be talking to you about a cult, so stay yeah. tuned. Katie's, come back. Yeah, please come back. <laughs> come back and see us. We need you. We love you. Katie told me that she was doing a cult, and for the rest of the time that we were hanging out, I was just thinking about which one it could be. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I had never heard of it until I stumbled across it and fell. I've probably <laughs> I've probably never heard of it then either. Um, quick thank you to all of our Patreons. We literally could not do this without you. Literally. You guys know literally. we don't have ads. We don't have sponsors. So <laughs> Patreons quite literally make our world go round. And if you guys want to check out our Patreon, you can, there's a link to it on our website. That is www.cruelinkmedia.com. That's got, like I said, our Patreon stuff. It's got our episodes. It's got all of our source material, show notes. It's got stuff about our books and our merch is there. Yeah. Hello. 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 With a U, Hello. <laughs> <laughs> you can follow us on Instagram. That is at cruel and unusual the pod. I tweet. She tweets. At cruel unusual pod. You can join our Facebook group. That is cruel and unusual colon the group. The group. There's something that you I'm can send us an email. An email. I usually say that first. Wow. <laughs> we are bass ackwards today. Bass ackwards, honey. <laughs> our email is cruel and unusual the pod at gmail.com. And that's all, folks. That's all, folks. Um, we're going to be having short I thought sleeve. That was all. <laughs> we're going to be having short <laughs> sleeves hit yes. the store soon. Soonish. Soonish. Um, we'll let you know. There was something else. Don't think say. that we won't tell you. Don't think we won't tell you. We'll tell you we'll because tell we you. have to order some too. <laughs> we have to make design them <laughs> first. We have to design them. Hey, if you guys, I'm drawing some blanks. So if you guys have anything that you would like to see on a t-shirt... I mean, that has to do with us, obviously. Yeah, it can't be like <laughs> if, um, if you have like a Trump twenty twenty. I mean, because no, we won't do it. <laughs> it's not happening. That's over. <laughs> um, if you have like a favorite quote or an idea, let us know. We want what you want. We want what you want. We want okay. what you want. You have to wear it, but so do <laughs> I. I mean, I don't have to. Is it weird to wear your own merch? No, I, I say no. I vote no. And if it's weird, we we're weird. I mean. <laughs> that ship sailed so honestly <laughs> it'll be okay right. okay you guys i think we're gonna go now okay we're gonna go tori needs to go to bed yeah okay all right love you love bye. you bye bye